Rich trying to remember how to do all of this. There he is. The wipe down. Can you hand me one of your wipes, by the, the way? computer stuff. Because I haven't been at my station in a couple of weeks, and I'm noticing now it's a little it's a little greasy and sticky. I don't I, know who's been over here, but... <laughs> I, I, how are I, things greasy and sticky at the same time? Welcome back, bud. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. It's good I'm to right. have you back. Thank you. We I, missed I, you. I appreciate that. I don't, I don't know how much that is true, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I, we I, missed you. I appreciate the attempt at the sentiment. Um, but yeah, I showed you. I showed you, right? My, my Lysol wipe when yeah. I wiped down the front here. Yeah. And it was just... I don't know who was over here. This yuck. Is, this is really pretty gross. I've never seen it like this over here. I literally just noticed this. I'm telling I'm you, man. Two weeks. Two weeks... In the radio business, when you talk about the studio and, and the unkeptness of the of the studio, two weeks might as well be six months. Oh, yeah. oh, look at this. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know what that that oh that brown thing is on there. I, I don't want to know. I'm telling you, this does it's, not look like I wiped down a studio <laughs> console. That's all I'm going to say. It t- it takes like Keep a it week. Right there. It takes a week, man. It, it takes it, it takes a week. But like, no, who sits here? Uh, all the people, all the usual suspects. The, it's on YouTube. We have evidence. We, we know exactly who has sat there the past couple of weeks. We, we got names. We got video. We've got audio. Uh, thanks for joining us, as always. It is much appreciated. Uh, obviously, I've been gone for quite a while. I'm happy to be back. We'll, we'll get into some of that in a little bit. But I want to start off here, Rami, with the finals. And yes, sir. We want to talk about the, the Nuggets and yes, the sir. Heat. And look, tomorrow night as we begin this series, we're talking about an eight seed against a one seed. Uh, Here was Jimmy Butler, though, after eliminating the Celtics on Monday night, reminding people that, hey, uh, we're not your usual eighth seed. Eight seed, you went from the play-in, you're heading to the finals. What's been most rewarding about this postseason journey so far? Uh, That we're not an eight seed. We're a really good basketball team. We're really good players. Um, And we just play together and we play hard. Yeah, we're not an eight seed. Don't even speak that to me. Rami, this matchup that's going to start tomorrow night, what do you think it says about the NBA? I do think that it's, they, they are not your typical eight seed. And a little too much is being made of that. Let's not forget they were the one seed just a year ago. You, you know what I mean? It wasn't that long ago that they were atop the Eastern Conference. They had a bunch of injuries this year. And I think they just – they're a team that – they they took the foot off the gas pedal a little bit in the regular season. Didn't didn't necessarily put as much stock in the regular season as maybe they have in the past. And it almost cost them a shot at the playoffs altogether. Because yeah. remember, they ended up in the play-in. This was a team that was down with like yes. four minutes to play against Chicago yes. to survive the play-in. Yes. So so uh, but but that being said, I, I I think a little too much is being made of them being an eight seed. But Nick not just not just the Heat. John Hollinger with a real, real good piece about this matchup today at the Athletic. Even as the one seed, Hollinger tells us, Denver's 64.6 win percentage was the lowest to lead the West since 1978-79. In 2008, the same mark would have made Denver the seventh seed. Hmm. They're not even <laughs> record-wise, and there are some other metrics in here. I, I can get to those in a minute if you want. They're not they're they're subpar for a one seed based on based on some of the numbers that you look at. This is not your typical NBA matchup, but I do think that people go a little bit too far when they they start saying stuff like, "Oh, the regular season doesn't matter anymore." You know what I mean? Right. Or the the play in has has lessened the importance of of the regular season. And we've heard some of that criticism. I think this is 
an anomaly. I think this is a a blip on the radar, yeah, so to speak. When when you look at all the injuries that happened this uh, during during the season to to marquee players, that that had an effect on how all the seeding shook out at the end of the season, including Miami, who dealt with plenty of injuries along the way on their way to being an eight seed and scratching and clawing their way to the playoffs. When you look at how active a trade deadline it was, Nick, and how much rosters transformed at the trade deadline this year, the Lakers being the best example of that, the seven seed that made it to the West. They weren't your typical seven seed because a lot of those losses they racked up was before they made the changes that they made at the trade deadline. And on top of all that, I think Hollinger, and it it was kind of just a throwaway one line in the piece, he makes the point that maybe we're just in a in a place in the NBA in between great teams or dynasties. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Which you do see. Like yeah. when yep. when when Michael retired, you had the Rockets win those two. And then after that, you had the Lakers and 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 the Spurs exchanging. And then you had the Pistons win one in between there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You do have that where great teams fall off and nobody has sort of stepped up and, and took the throne just yet. And, and it's there for the taking. Maybe Denver will be a great team. Maybe Miami is on their way to being a great team. We're talking about them in finals and winning multiple championships for years to come. Or this could just be that lull in between great teams or, or the next dynasty in the NBA. Yeah, I think, you know, this, this highlights, this series highlights how much of a unique story Miami is. I mean, this isn't going to happen every year. This no. doesn't happen hardly ever. I think this is, what, the second time an eight seed gets the NBA five. I mean, you, you don't see this much at all. And I think what you have in Miami, no pun intended, is a perfect storm. Like, you've got the best coach in the NBA for my money and Eric Spolstra. I've said that for years. I think Spo is the best coach in the NBA, Agreed. hands down. So you've got the best coach. You have the others who have had an out-of-body experience collectively. Gabe Vincent... Shout out to him, right? And obviously, Caleb Martin, who should have won the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals. That was a joke that Butler won it. But, I mean, he has been tremendous. And both of those guys have been tremendous at the same time. We're talking about guys shooting 45 to 50%, 55% from three-point land. Ridiculous. So you have the best coach in the league. You have some of these other role players stepping up and playing like MVPs of Conference Finals series. You have somebody in Jimmy Butler who everybody believes in in that locker room, who I am a big fan of. He's one of my favorite players in the league. He knows how to lead. He learned from some of his missteps early in his career. He's somebody who who just has the trust of his teammates. And really, when you look at that series in the East, Rami, what you saw was a team that totally believed in itself a team that totally trusted within itself, a team that was very disciplined, and a word that we've used with Coach Brown and the Kings over and over and over again throughout this past season, culture. And and Heat culture has become a little bit of a joke on Twitter, but there, there's a lot of oh, truth sure. to that. Yes, This team has a culture. So all of those things brewed up to a perfect storm, and we saw what we saw, and we see what we see. It also, I would say this, it highlights the lack of belief in both Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets. Because all year we sat here, Rami, and said the West is wide open. And you know what? The West wasn't really wide open. Yeah. The Nuggets were the best team in the West during the season. That was a conclusion they, I, get, I came to while you were out these last couple yeah. of weeks. I, I've said the same thing. It wasn't as wide open as we all thought. No. no. The, the Nuggets were just really good. And, and this happens, right? This happens all the time 
in every sport, until they get there, you don't truly believe, right? Until Jokic got to the finals, it was, yeah, he's he's been a great player, but can he be that guy? Giannis went through it before he got to the finals and won a championship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a he's a very good, you know, borderline great player, but is he that guy? Jason Tatum is going to go through it with Boston the past couple of years. Yeah, he's he's one of the top five or six players when he's at his best, but is he that? Everybody goes through it, and Jokic went through it, and the Nuggets went through it. Finally, I think this is a note to the entire NBA. I don't think it's a coincidence that the two teams that are going to play in the NBA Finals tomorrow night are led by two of the longest-tenured coaches in the league. Coach Spolstra has That's the a second, point. second longest tenure in the NBA, Coach Spo. Mike Malone, fourth longest head coach tenure in the NBA. These guys have built trust with their teams. They know how their teams are built, and they know their teams in and out. Weaknesses, strengths, and how to play with the talent that they have. And I, I agree with Hollinger. I do think some of this is. It's just hard, man. Like, the, the Warriors went through their dynasty. They make it look easier. But it's really hard to get to the finals and win a title. It really is. And, and man, you look, and you look at what Denver did in the second half, and Mike, Mike Malone pointed this out. Michael Malone, I'm sorry. He... He said that they took they took their foot off the gas pedal at times at at his dismay. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yep. I don't know that I'm putting as much in the win percentage or the seeding. But Nick, it will get back. We will get back to normal. Like don't don't think that this is going to be the norm. We will get back to normal where it's one or two, maybe three teams in each conference that we look at and we go, okay, yeah, they're playing for the championship. Everybody else is is just playing for, for, for participation points in the playoffs. All right, we want your thoughts on this. What does this final series say to you about the NBA? 916-339-1140 is the text line. The phone number is 1-800-920-1140. Don't forget, YouTube.com, Sacktown Sports 1140 is where you can find us. And when you slide on by, make sure you give us that thumbs up. You give us that like. It's always appreciated. All right, we'll get to your reaction on the Nuggets and Heat. What's this series tell you about the league? Also, Rami says that I need to share my thoughts on the Celtics losing. People want to know how Boston Nick feels today. Well, I'll tell you how I feel in about 90 seconds. Well, for the last two weeks, I brought absolutely nothing. (laughs) That's a fact. That's the truth. (laughs) Still trying to figure that out. And we missed you. We oh, missed you. I'm I'll sure. say it again. Yeah, I'm we sure. missed you. Yeah, I'm sure we did. I don't. It's don't fun. don't fuel the fire of conspiracy I'm theorists. I'm just saying there are people out there who thought we got in a fight, that you got no, fired no, or no, suspended. No, or, no, no, no. We're in contract negotiations or house arrest. So, but house arrest. <laughs> house arrest. I kept telling them we're good. We're good here. There were Nick there were be some. Back. Uh, there were points over the last two weeks that I actually would have taken house arrest versus the reality yeah. of what was going on. Yeah, that's the truth. Uh, before I get into the situation with, with me and and get into the Celtics, because you know Rami said that uh, people want to hear I think my the people want to know they want to hear my morning yes. over the uh, over they the radio. Hear your eulogy of your basketball yes. team today. Uh, but we were talking about the Heat and the Nuggets and what this finals series says about the NBA fans underscore only says a uh, good point franchises move on too fast with coaches yeah I mean I, I made this uh, point a, a couple of minutes ago if you're just jumping into the car or wherever you are listening to us don't forget sacktownsports.com don't forget the stream the app all that good stuff um, you know when you look at coach Spo he's been around forever I mean aside from Greg Popovich Spo's the longest tenured coach in the league and so he knows his guys he knows what makes them tick he gets the most out of them they have an identity, which the Celtics did not have, which I'll get to in a little bit. Dwayne Baker, 
makes a good point. He says, this finals does show that organizational stability matters, culture matters. Yes. Look, sometimes we can overdo it with the culture stuff because culture does not make Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin all of a sudden shoot like 50-plus mm-hmm. percent from three in a, in a conference finals. Culture doesn't necessarily, you know, lead Jimmy Butler to do everything that he does. But when you look at it overall, when you have talent, when you have the best coach in the NBA, and you mix in the culture, that's when you have the special blend. I said yesterday, Nick, you know, I was I was in Minnesota. I got there as Jimmy was on his way out. And then when he went to Miami, I said that's the perfect place for Jimmy Butler because yeah. he he's going to voice his displeasure with things Wherever he goes, in in Chicago he did it, in Minnesota he did it, in Philly he did it, and the difference in Miami is people look at him and they go, yeah, you're right, we should probably fix that. And Pat Riley is doing the same thing, Eric Spolster is doing the same thing, and every one of those guys on the roster, up and down, they have they have the leeway, they have the freedom to say, hey, we're we're not doing this right. Yeah, you know what I mean. And people listen; they're not offended by it. They listen. That's why it was the perfect place for Jimmy Butler. And I called it yesterday. It's a culture of psychos. Everybody there, <laughs> everybody there is as, as obsessed with winning as Jimmy Butler is, and that's why he doesn't rub anybody the wrong way. At least not to the point where they got to they got to pack his stuff and and send him off. You yeah. know what I mean? And look, Philly Philly had the magical chance, didn't they? Yes. The whole trust the process thing. Yes, uh, led them to Jimmy Butler in part, and they let him walk and kept Tobias Harris. And uh, obviously not the right decision by that organization. And the stability that Dwayne brought up is 100% accurate. They have the stability. Michael Malone is the the fourth longest tenured coach in the NBA. He's been there for a while. He knows what to expect. He and Jokic, you know, and Jamal Murray, that's how you build a team. And when you look at, you know, Michael Porter Jr., Michael Porter Jr., I think, was drafted, what, 2018? He's only been there for five years. And he was injured when he came into the league. So, AC, at Nick Cattles, this is on the uh, YouTube chat. It's a great time to jump off the Boston bandwagon. We understand your period of mourning, but welcome back. Uh, it, it was my... my how, how, high did, how high up did you get with coming back from 3-0 to force a Game 7? Um, look, I, honestly, I wasn't nearly as confident in Game 7 as a lot of people were okay. that I talked to. It's, okay. it's funny, my, my buddy Rob texted me on Monday, and he was like, man, how do you feel about Game 7? Because everybody, everybody here, he's still in Rhode Island, he's like, everybody here is talking like it's a wrap. He's like, how do you feel? And I told him, I said, look, if they defend, if they knock down their threes, then they will win the game and they will move on. It, it, I, I, I know some people might not believe this, but when you're watching a game, of course you get emotional and you go back and forth. Sure. Like when Derek White tipped it in, did I scream yes at the top of my lungs five <laughs> times? Yeah, I did, of course. I was worried for your health at that point. Um, but but I, I detach myself emotionally when I look at, you know, series and games and big pictures and all that stuff, right? That's just how I've always done it. And I, I really just get back to the basketball because you can get wrapped up in the emotion, but you get back to the basketball. And so, you know, why did the Celtics win the three games? Because in two of those three games, they knocked down a lot of threes and their offense was reliant on the three ball. They also played very good defense, right? They caused 16 turnovers in each of game four and game five, which led to more offense. That's why they won. They were the more talented team. I don't think there's any doubt about that. doesn't make them the better team. And so I I was not walking around 
saying, oh, yeah, it's it's done. They're back in Boston. It's over, blah, blah, blah. No. Did I think they would win? Sure. I thought they would win, but I did not count out Miami at all. I thought it would at least be a tight game. All the talk about Miami's dead after the Derek White tip in, and no, because of all the stuff we've talked about with yeah. Miami. Yeah. Like Jimmy Butler and Eric Spolstra, they were not going to allow that team to walk into Boston They're and not going to get shook by that. They're right. not going to roll over and just die, right? So I was not gone because of the Celtics. Um, I did do I did do all of the shows last year after the Celtics lost to the Warriors in the finals. I, I made it through. Um, in life, there are certain challenges. Personally, I don't get into details because I don't need to get into details. But let's just say a lot of stuff has happened the last couple of weeks. So I uh, had to take care of some of that stuff and uh, still working through that. And I think that will be a, a process that continues for I don't know how long. But we're... You know, we're going through some things, so we had to settle some things on the home front, and that's what we were doing. The Celtics, meanwhile, look, you want my reaction? I'll first start with this, Rami. Credit to the Heat. Because a lot of this conversation is like, oh, well, the Celtics blew it, or the Celtics, you know, failed to meet expectations. The Celtics did that. The Celtics did that. Yeah, look, the Celtics failed to meet expectations. Again, talent, quote-unquote, on paper, they should be in the finals. Doesn't matter though, and you got to give credit to Coach Spo, who's the best coach in the NBA. Gabe Vincent, a lot of people around this area know of Gabe very, very well. His time in Stockton, all that stuff. Vincent played terrific. Caleb Martin was the MVP of that series. Man, he played unbelievable. Uh, Jimmy didn't play great consistently. I don't know if he's one hundred percent healthy. Bam was terrible the last four games of that series, but their others showed up, and Butler did enough especially at the end of games, to help them win. And so their shot-making, it was they just made tremendous shot. Like every time you felt like the Celtics might make a run in that game seven, they got within seven or so, mm-hmm. Caleb Martin or Vincent would come down and knock down a huge three. Drill it. And that's that's just, you know, that that is elite shot-making capability. They made the shots when they needed to. They stepped up when they needed to. They were the more disciplined team. They were the better team through seven games in that series. I said to JJ yesterday, I'm I'm one to defend the modern NBA game when people complain about too many three-pointers, and I tell them, get used to it. It's not going anywhere. But, Nick, I and I saw it with – we saw it with the Kings against Golden State where they couldn't buy a three and they just kept chucking them up. And the same thing happened to the Celtics that benefited the Celtics last year in their series with the Bucks, where they couldn't buy a three – and they kept chucking them up. I just don't understand with your playoff. If it's a regular season game and threes aren't falling, and you take the live by the sword, die by the sword approach, and and you just and you and you take the L, okay. But with your playoff lives on the line, yeah. To go, what were they nine of forty something from three, and keep chucking them up? I don't understand that, Nick. And I've seen it happen. Three times now, up I close think they and personal. Were, they were 7 for 35 in game six, followed that with a 9 for 42, I believe. Attack the rim. That's six. <laughs> Attack the rim. What are 16, we doing? 16 for 77. <laughs> now, game seven, I will say, I do think a good portion of that game had to do with the Tatum injury. That team did not know how to respond without running offense through Tatum. They just, he, he wasn't moving around well. That left Jalen Brown sure. to be the guy. That's what you don't want. I've had so many people in Sacramento ask me about Jalen Brown because people are in love with the idea of Jalen Brown being a king. He's a top 20 player in the NBA. There's no doubt about that. But I've always said his weaknesses, too. He tries to do too much at times, offensively and defensively. He falls asleep every once in a while. And you saw it offensively. 
He tries to do too much. He drives into traffic. He drives into double and triple teams. He gets loose with the basketball. And with Tatum not able to move, I think Jalen said to himself, I got to take this game over. And that's the worst possible thing that could happen to the Celtics. Because if he feels like he's got to take it over, he's going to be too aggressive. He's going to try to do too much. And he's going to end up with the eight turnovers that he had. And it was just an ugly game. From an entertainment on an entertainment oh, standpoint, basketball, it sucked. It sucked. It was terrible. One final note I will say, because we've talked about this a lot, and you hit the nail on the head with the whole you know reliance on the three ball and all that. You, you can't even believe how listening to some of this Celtics postgame stuff that I've listened to mimics what you and I have talked about with the Kings. About their approach on offense and all, it's amazing. It's amazing. And and what I will say is, the reality of the situation was, this Celtics team had no identity. The day that Ime Udoka was suspended for the year, this team lost its identity. Ime had this team totally bought into defense. It was a team that turned the season around a year ago because of that defense. They bought in. They played defense from the jump to the very last whistle of the game. Mm-hmm. Joe Mazzulla is an offensive guy. Mazzulla is a 3-3-3 chuck and duck offensive guy. And, you know, when you when you listen to some of the Celtics stuff that they said in post games, and when you go through the season and you hear certain things, I don't think this team ever truly knew what it was. Guys after game seven said, we got to get back to our defensive identity. You know, they were questioning Missoula about not starting Rob Williams and starting Derek White instead for a stretch. This team has to find its identity with Joe Missoula as the head coach. Yeah. And they have to build that team around what Missoula wants if he's going to be the guy. And I do think he's going to be the guy. Shams reported that he's got $14 million guaranteed on his deal. Yeah, he's probably coming back. Celtics owners are not going to just give him $14 million. <laughs> And if you saw it today, another report is that pretty much every single assistant coach is expected to leave Missoula's staff to go to Houston for Eme. That was not Missoula's staff. Right. Missoula was like the fourth or fifth guy on that staff. They lost Hardy to Utah. They lost Stoudemire to Georgia Tech. They lost Eme due to suspension. Missoula was pretty much on an island with a staff that did not necessarily go along with what he liked to do. So this was a team without an identity. And I think what you saw was that identity crisis in the games they lost in this postseason. They didn't know what to do. They, they didn't know how to flip the defensive switch for an entire series. They would do it in stretches, but they just didn't know. And offensively, they had a coach that was just like, keep shooting threes, and they just bought into that so much that it ended up killing them in Game 7. Lucky it didn't kill them in Game 6. All right, the Athletics' Melissa Locker joins us with the latest on the A's in Vegas coming up next. Cattles and Russell Lake Honda, your one-stop Honda shop, and joining us right now on the YouTube channel as well, YouTube.com, yes, Sacktown Sports 1140, is Melissa Lockert from The Athletic. Of course, uh, she covers the A's and Bay Area sports for them. Uh, Melissa, we appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for joining us. Let's jump right in. As of yesterday morning, Melissa, uh, the A's Vegas bill, SB 509, had received 2,370 public opinions and positions 78% oppose the bill. Now, I will say, Melissa, Californians can submit uh, opinions and positions, so some of these numbers are obviously thrown off. But do you think the A's face an uphill battle in support because of these funding issues in Vegas? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and again, I'm not on the ground in, in Las Vegas, so I certainly won't pretend to be an uh, expert in Nevada politics, but it sounds like the latest report is that uh, Dave Cavill and John Fisher are, are on the floor in the legislature trying to, to drum up votes because they don't have them right now. Um, whether that holds through the rest of this negotiation remains to be seen. Obviously, there are things that can be given to people who are opposed that can flip a vote, and that's obviously what they're working on right now. Um, but the fact that Fisher and Cavill, who did not show up on the Monday um, that they introduced that legislation, um, would make an appearance now, you know, kind of lends some credence to the idea that this might be a little bit in trouble and that they're going to have to dig deep to, to get these votes. I think it's going to be close. You know, who knows exactly how it'll break down. But, uh, you know, I think the fact that this has been rushed and it's been so obviously rushed is got to feel uh, icky to the politicians that are having mm -hmm. to make these decisions, you know, for lack of a better word. It's got to be really icky to make politicians feel icky too. You exactly. know, being politicians <laughs> being politicians. If this thing, if this thing doesn't doesn't happen though, let's say it falls through and they don't get the votes, do you have any idea what what would be the next step here for for the Oakland A's? I mean, the whole thing is so absurd, right? Like you have rumors of groups of people that want to keep the team here that are willing to buy it. Um, and that that isn't being entertained in exchange for the possibility of moving into a very tiny stadium with no development around it um, in a smaller market it is baffling before you even get to the point of what would happen if a vote doesn't come through. So um, it's really hard to say. I mean, at some point, if this stalls out, you know, it's possible the league says, hey, listen, this is getting to be ridiculous and you need to sell this team. Um there was a moment in that legislative introduction on Monday where they said that, you know, they weren't going to return to Oakland and they would look for a different city if this didn't go through. That seemed like a little bit of an idle thread. I mean, the whole reason this is timeline is what it is, is because they want to remain on revenue sharing and there's no way you could get another city to approve something in time for revenue sharing to still kick in um, when you already are like three fourths of the way there in Oakland and, you know, presumably fairly down the line in Vegas, but you'd have to start over somewhere else. Um, so I don't know, but I, I would have to think at some point the league gets tired of this. I mean, it's making everybody look bad that's connected to Major League Baseball right now. Melissa Lockard with us here, Cattles and Rami on this Wednesday, Sacktown Sports. Melissa, I want to look at baseball's role in all of this. Is it just their their greed or this obsession with the idea of of having a team in Vegas that has kept them from pushing back on John Fisher here? Yeah, I don't know exactly what the kind of impetus is for it. I, I do think there is some sense that this is a closed group of owners and, and there does seem to be some reluctance to let new people into that group. And so, you know, you look at what happened with the Mets and what the Wilpons had to do to force a sale there. I mean, it, it took a lot of right. them being embarrassing for many, many years before the league was finally like, listen, you guys got to sell. Um, I, I think that's probably pay, playing as much a part of this as anything else. You know, whoever bought the A's would probably be a Joe Lacob type aggressive, you know, enter into the market. And um, they don't want that. They want owners that are going to keep those salaries down and um, push for public funding for stadiums. I mean, they're using the A's as leverage against the Milwaukee Brewers to try to, you know, get money to, to upgrade that stadium, which I think is one of the greatest ironies ever considering Bud Selig's absolute hatred of the A's and move to Oakland and how he was so <laughs> determined to make them leave. And it would be sort of ironic if someday the Brewers are forced to leave and relocate and had to relocate to a new market, maybe in Oakland. So 
Um, that, that, that might be kind of funny, but in any case, I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. That stadium's fairly new. I can't imagine why $350 million is suddenly needed from the state of Wisconsin to pay for, um, the brewers to stay there. So, um, you know, they're, they're looking for handouts. They're looking for owners. They're going to vote the way they want them to vote in labor negotiations, which are contentious every few years. And um, that's my guess as to why they haven't pushed back. And, on and when I mean, in those comments where he was and it was in Milwaukee where Rob Manfred was using the A's as as leverage or an example to, to, to the city of Milwaukee and Brewers fans and what could happen there. He gave he gave John Fisher as much shade and cover as he possibly could. He blamed the stadium. He blamed the city. He blamed the fans in, in, in his statement about the A's current situation. Is is that how the league actually feels or do you feel like there is some frustration with A's ownership and how long this thing has dragged out while they're stuffing their pockets with collective bargain with uh, with revenue sharing money? Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, they are taking free money. On the other hand, they're losing all their games this year, right? Like, so all these teams are getting free wins, which I'm sure absolutely none of them. Um, they've never pushed the salary envelope at any point that John Fisher has owned them. So they've been very good boys when it comes to that sort of thing, which is important to them. Um, and, you know, this idea of a privately financed stadium, you know, the Giants pulled it off, obviously, uh, in San Francisco, but that wasn't what baseball wanted. They, they want their teams to push for publicly financed stadiums. So, you know, using Fisher as a cudgel to kind of get that, um, you know, back on the kind of track as to what baseball wants is probably what they I mean, he seems so disinterested in this entire thing. He referred to the site that the A's are looking to build on as the MGM site, which briefly turned everybody into a panic as to, well, they picked another site. Well, it's just because he probably looked at those ridiculous renderings and saw MGM was like bigger than anything else on there. But he didn't even he hadn't even read enough to like remember that it was Tropicana now that they were talking about and not MGM. So um, I, I don't know that they they spend much time thinking about the A's at all, to be honest with you, as it, absurd as it may seem. So, um, you know, I, I think also it's it's good to remember, too, that, that Manfred works for the, the owners. Right. Like, right. He is not an independent commissioner in the way that we used to have back before, you know, Bargiamani and everything else. So everything that he's getting are from the ownership and they do protect their own. It's a group of 30 people that, um, you know, can meet every year and they live in an economic atmosphere that we can't even possibly fathom. And I think it's just a different world than what we live in. Melissa, we appreciate your time. Great stuff. And uh, as the story continues, we'll uh, continue to reach out. Hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. There goes uh, Melissa Lockard on the Folsom Lake Honda hotline. Folsom Lake Honda, your one-stop Honda shop. It's just a joke. I get so mad. John Fisher's a joke. Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, joke. Everything about this is just, it's it's high comedy. Every time you turn around, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball are slapping fans in the face. It's like they don't want you. They they literally go out of their way to offend and and put their fans off. Yeah. And it, it, it makes... Nick, for I've look, I have no rooting interest in the A's. I didn't grow up in Northern California. I'm not a lifelong A's fan like Jay is. But what they're doing to the A's, what they're trying to do to the Brewers, I don't know how many folks saw what they're doing with the TV deal in San Diego now, where Padres fans are going to have to pay the the local and national MLB TV package just to see any Padres game with blackout restrictions, with all of it. Every time you turn around, Major League Baseball is trying to shoo you away from their product. Yeah, I've got YouTube TV. Can't watch the MLB Network. 
It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mess. Not only that, you can't watch if 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 your team is on MLB Network and you go if you have an MLB TV subscription and you go to watch it, it's blacked out because it's on MLB Network, which I don't have access to. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess. It's despicable. It's an absolute mess. Uh, I hate him. A future Hall of Fame quarterback you. publicly rips his former team. What do you have to say? Well, f- How big is it? No matter what, national pundits would tell you it's huge. Now it's our turn to tell you. Big deal or no big deal? On Cattles and Robbie. Now let's get right into it. Aaron Rodgers unleashed, Rami. Woo! He's talking. Got the flamethrower out. Talking a lot. I like it. Talking a lot to uh, drama and pettiness, two of my favorite things. Talking a lot to the athletics, Matt Schneidman. Yes, sir. Roger says now that after the Packers drafted Jordan Love, he thought he'd have one or two years left in Green Bay. Quote, we didn't win the Super Bowl. They had their guy in waiting. Unless things changed, I felt like that's why I said what I said. There was a possibility they were going to move on. I knew that Love was always a possibility that they would want to go, well, you know what? We tried hard. We tried to win a championship. We had a good team, but now it might be time to go with Jordan, move some contract stuff around and do that. Schneidman also added some uh, background to this story, Rami. He uh, says, according to a source associated with the Packers, who was granted anonymity Mm -hmm. to candidly discuss the sensitive dynamics. (laughs) How about that? I love that. (laughs) That's when you know it's juicy. When you read that sentence right there, that's when you know it's juicy. A source associated with the team who was Mm -hmm. granted anonymity to Mm -hmm. candidly discuss the sensitive dynamics between the front office and the star quarterback. What? Early in 2021's offseason, Rogers' agent called President Mark Murphy, one of Rami's favorites, with a request. I do like Mark. Fire GM Brian Gutekunst or trade Rodgers. Murphy did neither. Months later, news broke out that Rodgers wanted to leave Green Bay, but the Packers held firm. Here's Rodgers on Devontae Adams and the contract situation. By the way, just a, just a, the, a quick add-on to what sure. you did. When asked about the demand, Rodgers deferred to Dunn, who did not reply. Yes. To, that's, that's confirming. That's, Dun, Dun said, that's uh, confirming without confirming. Dunn did not reply to the athletics request for comment. But that's Aaron Rodgers going, look, you know what happened. And if you want, I'm not going to tell you, but yeah. you can you can check with my agent if you want. Dunn gave you the uh, none your business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So here's what Rodgers had to say about Adams and the contract that he was offered from Green Bay. They offered him less money than Christian Kirk. And Adams is going, are you serious right now? I'm the best receiver in the league. You're going to offer me less than Christian Kirk? Yes, Rodgers absolutely, with all due respected Christian Kirk. With all due respect, he's not on Devontae's level. <laughs> Something disrespectful always follows, with all due respect. Uh, Schneidman went on and said that the Packers were not satisfied with Rodgers' commitment and effort. And Rodgers pushed back, saying, you know, when I'm all in, when I'm in, I'm all in. You want to ride with offensive uh, or off-season workouts? I want MVP without doing off-season workouts. Was my commitment any less then? Rami, big deal or no big deal that Rodgers is, you know, officially, officially out of Green Bay and now apparently has no issue going unleashed style in some of these interviews. It's, it's a big deal on a couple of different levels, Nick. One, he's telling you how the Packers do business. And that they don't necessarily uh, treat their their star players the way that star players would like to be treated. They don't right. appreciate star players the way that star players 
would like to be appreciated. And, I mean, look, we can all sit here and go, oh, Aaron Rodgers is crazy. Aaron Rodgers is a diva. He's a drama queen. Like, throw whatever label on it that you want to throw on it. Guys around the league, read this. And, And other players... They put stock in what Aaron Rodgers has to say. Right, Guys around the NBA still trust Kyrie Irving when it comes to basketball matters, okay? so How many of those guys? <laughs> How many do those guys exist, you think? If Kyrie Irving told you a front office is terrible and you're an NBA player and that's not a place you want to play, you put stock in that. Maybe not his thoughts on whether or not the earth is round or flat, but you put stock in that. And Aaron Rodgers is spreading the word which he kind of started to do when he was in Green Bay, but now he's completely unleashed. He's spreading the word that, hey, the Packers will 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 lowball you come negotiations. They will disrespect you and go get your replacement. They well, didn't lowball Aaron. I will say that. Well, no, they didn't. But they they I've always said, Nick, and this is why it's, it's also a big deal, because I was right all along. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always said, anytime you have a breakdown in a relationship, probably both sides share some blame in that. But the Packers were the ones to sow the, the seeds of, of bad feelings in the Aaron Rodgers relationship. They were the ones to do it in the Devontae Adams relationship. And then they played dirty on your way out. And start trying to spread rumors that you weren't fully committed to the team. You weren't, quote unquote, all in after you were telling Aaron Rodgers all season how much you appreciate his commitment for breaking, playing with a broken thumb. Right. How you, you, you appreciate his post-game speeches and everything else. This, to me, it, even if fans don't believe it, even if, and I know Packers fans, Nick, you know I know Packers fans oh, from yeah. my time in Milwaukee. You know them. A lot of them will not believe this. They'll go, oh, this is just bitter Aaron. Ugh. I'm telling you, players, word is spreading around the league of how the Packers do business because of what Aaron Rodgers is putting out there. And I, I think this this has an effect. I think it is a big deal. It's only a big deal if Jordan Love stinks on multiple levels. Because like if Jordan Love is really good, then players are going to want to play with him, alongside him, and then everybody's going to forget about this. Like It's going to be like, okay, well, Rodgers said what he said. They moved on. Jordan Love ended up being very good. Whatever. If Jordan Love is not good, then it's a crisis. First of all, Green Bay is going to tumble towards the the lower end of the conference if Love is not good. That sounds so good. And then everything goes back to Rodgers, and Green Bay looks like they're absolutely incompetent and handled this thing wrong from the very beginning, even drafting Love going back a few years ago. So if Love isn't the guy, it's it's a big issue and it's a big deal because people are going to get fired. Gutekunst is going to get fired. Yeah, Rodgers will get his wish. It'll be a little right. too late, but Rodgers will get his wish. And Rodgers will be the last one laughing, right? <laughs> yes, like, he will. Everybody could get fired and he's just going to sit back and say, well, I told you so. He's going to go on the McAfee World Tour mm-hmm. when McAfee goes to ESPN and be squawking about it even more. From Rogers' end, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, look, he, he gave us some specifics, but we knew most of these issues. We, we knew that Green Bay historically does not spend a ton of money. Um, we know that. We, we know that if they're going to spend money, it's likely on the quarterback, which they did. We know that they lowballed Devontae Adams because there was no other reason why Devontae would want to leave mm-hmm. um, unless that was the case. So he didn't tell us anything earth-shattering. There was a report back in like t- 2021 when it happened in real time from Charles Robinson at Yahoo saying that Rodgers wanted out and that you know he wanted Gutekunst gone. So it's not that he gave us just a ton of new information, but it is uh, 
It's interesting when somebody publicly goes out there and puts it on the record and says some of the stuff he said. If Jordan Love is good, if they have three back-to-back-to-back Hall of Fame quarterbacks, I want to see you so angry at this. I quit football. As a Bears fan, I just I quit football. I'm just out on the sport altogether. Couldn't really blame you. Because the football gods just have it out for me is what that means, and I will never be happy. I could buy that. Yeah. <laughs> all Despite right, so all my your, fantasy uh, football championships. There's your big deal or no big deal. Let me shine these rings. And your, uh, what was it, three interceptions with a broken Two. Broken two interceptions hand, with a broken thumb. Two interceptions with a yes, broken sir. thumb. In flag football. This man. Played a double header with a broken hand. Force. I know. You're an absolute force. I know. Uh, with Dog. Bob, with Bob Meyer. D-A-W-G. <laughs> With Bob Myers gone, are the Warriors in trouble? We'll give you our thoughts next. Cattles. And Rami. Sattow Sports.